Hello and welcome back to Recover to Flourish, the podcast that aims to debunk all things eating disorder recovery and bring a bit of light to your eating disorder recovery journey. I'm your host, Keandra. I'm an eating disorder recovery coach and I'm a survivor of an eating disorder. And in this podcast, we delve into the very insights and wisdom I used in my own recovery journey. If you haven't already, I invite you to join our community by hitting that follow button and leaving a rating. Every follow and every rating not only keeps this podcast alive, but it also extends our reach to more listeners worldwide, spreading the invaluable information that I share in this podcast. Your presence here matters and I genuinely appreciate every single one of you listening, so I hope you know that. So whether you're on the path to recovery, supporting someone on their own recovery journey, or just curious about this important topic, you're in the right place. So stay tuned for another empowering episode. Over to the show. Hello and welcome back to Recover to Flourish. It's amazing to be back. I always love chatting to you and getting the chance to share a bit more information than what I would usually do on social media. If you're following me over there at Flourish with Keandra, I do share a lot of reels and content and posts every single day, but I love the opportunity to actually expand on these topics and yeah, hopefully help at least one of you today. So I'm going to dive straight in and we are delving deep into a challenge that many of us face in recovery and that is maintaining consistency with our eating disorder recovery when thoughts and feelings seem to you know, seem determined to lead us astray back to those eating disorder behaviors and trapped in it. Now, in the realm of recovery, consistency is our main goal. You know, it's all about providing our bodies and minds with regular nourishment and the care they need to heal. Also, when it comes to behaviors, it's about rewiring, well, that's a hard word to say, rewiring all of these little habits that are sneaky you know, eating disorder behaviors, things that we might not even realize are linked to the eating disorder. And that's why consistently challenging them is really important because it proves to our brain that number one, nothing bad's going to happen if we don't do that behavior. And number two, it creates new pathways so we can build new habits. However, you're going to say, well, it's really hard to be consistent, Kendra. How do you do it? And this is the thing. We need to explore why consistency is so hard in recovery because you might be saying, well, I don't know why it's so hard. So I think any long-term behavioral change is challenging now for several reasons. And I'm probably going to tell you reasons that, you know, maybe maybe, uh, are not relevant or are not relevant for you, or maybe there's things that I haven't said. But these are some of the things that I would say of why it's hard to remain consistent. And these challenges can stem from psychological, physiological, and environmental factors. And understanding them can provide a real insight into recovery and how to support it. So firstly, let's think about psychological things. Firstly, you know, people can have co-occurring mental health conditions whilst having an eating disorder, such as anxiety, depression, trauma, BPD, and many more. And these conditions can make it difficult to maintain consistent behaviors due to fluctuating moods, energy levels, motivation, feeling lost, feeling hopeless. It's a really hard place to be. And that's why sometimes you're being pulled in so many different directions. Additionally, you have eating disorder thought patterns, you know, 
Eating disorders often involve deeply ingrained thought and patterns and beliefs about food, your self-worth, your body image, etc. Now, sometimes, you know, and, th- and this is an argument for another time, is an eating disorder an addiction? You know, that's one for debate. But definitely a lot of eating disorder behaviors come down to old habits. You know, challenging habits is really hard. You know, it's, for instance, it's like giving up smoking. It's, it's a a real, it's an ingrained behavior. It feels like a comfort blanket and consistently challenging them can be mentally exhausting, you know, leading to periods where these old behaviors resurface. Maybe it just doesn't feel possible. I think as well to add to that, there is that real fear of change. When you're changing a habit, it's like, well, what would I do instead? The familiarity in disordered eating behaviors can be so comforting in its predictable nature, making the unknowns of recovery so scary. I mean, I find change scary. I think all human beings find change scary because it's unknown. And with an eating disorder, and if you've listened to my previous episode about control, I think eating disorders are driven by the need to be certain. And even though eating disorders, ironically, are the least certain things ever because they ruin ruin our health and our ability to connect and live a a normal quote-unquote life, they still are predictable in our minds. And I think that adds to my last kind of psychological factor is ambivalence, you know, feeling torn between wanting to recover and feeling really scared about the loss of that identity that the eating disorder gives, which for many serves as a coping mechanism and maybe for part of your journey kept you safe from feelings that you couldn't experience. And that is really scary. Next, we have physiological factors. So you know, like I said before, habits, so neurological pathways, are formed in the brain. And overcoming these patterns requires consistent effort to create that new pathway. It's like overcoming any fear. You have to expose yourself. If I was scared of spiders, I would go through a process of exposing myself to those spiders in order to regain control and to prove to myself that there's nothing to be scared about. Next, there's also nutritional deficiencies. You know, you would say the eating disorder brain. I think that is another episode in itself. So much information about the effect of starvation on the brain, but actually lead, you know, a starved brain is an unhappy brain. The brain uses 20% of our daily nutritional needs, at least. And so if you're starving it, it's anxious, it's rigid, it's tired, it feels scary to do anything that's different. And so That is why it's really important to have a food-focused approach in recovery, even when it feels scary, that kind of mechanical eating. And I will go on to how to actually maintain consistency. But, you know, an undernourished brain is an unhappy brain. Remember that. I think also physical discomfort. You know, sometimes increasing food intake can be really hard. Bloating, you know, feeling uncomfortable, feeling like you are, you know, living with feelings that you never had before, feeling fullness. And it can be discouraging and lead to like inconsistency in your eating. And lastly, you know, I'll, I'll touch on environmental factors. So, you know, diet culture, we hate it. You know, that societal ideal about body shape, your diet, what you should look like, and frequent exposure to that triggering content on social media from diet culture, be that, you know, it influences who, you know, maybe portray an image of life that is 
unattainable or feels unattainable or, you know, promotes dieting and these behaviors can feel really, really scary. And it's like, well, should I be doing this? Should I be recovering? Also stress. Wow. You know, that we can't remove stress from our lives. Like that's, that's a given. We actually need it to survive. If we didn't have stress, we wouldn't be, we actually wouldn't be alive. We need to have some sort of psychological stresses in our life to you know, be alert. However, stress such as personal relationships, work, school, you know, um, grief, et cetera, can trigger you know, disordered eating behaviors to resurface in the recovery pr- process and can be a form of coping. And lastly, lack of support. You know, you add all of that together. Recovery requires a support team, you know, you know, even if it's just one person or even the community online, like that is support to some degree, but without understanding and encouraging sources in your life, it's hard to maintain consistent behaviors, not impossible, but harder. And so that's why consistency can be really, really hard. Again, I'm always open to understanding maybe how you found consistency hard in your journey. So if this episode speaks to you, please do get in touch via social media or email, um, and I'll leave all the links in the show notes. So let's think about, you know, I'm going to go really into that kind of physiological factor here and understanding consistency and mechanical eating. So mechanical eating often serves as our starting point in recovery. It's about a structured plan for what and when we eat. Now, again, there's two arguments about meal plans. I think they serve a purpose at the start, maybe not long-term, especially when things like uh, reactive hunger comes in and we need to nourish our bodies even more. You know, that structure might go out the window, but it's a minimum. Ensuring that we're feeding our bodies without falling prey to our disordered thoughts. It's more than just a schedule. It's a commitment to healing, even when it feels counterintuitive. So I think if I reflect on my own journey, the early days really were a battle between my understanding of what was healthy and the distorted signals my mind was sending. You know, I was put on meal plans when I was in services, when I was a, a young teen, and I didn't really embrace it at first. But when I did start to embrace the mechanical eating, that structure became to clarity and reconnection with my body's true needs. And then I could trust myself and branch out of it. At the start, I felt like I was contradicting to myself all the time, being pulled in directions. But what I realized is when I leaned into structure, actually the one thing that I thought I would lose with going into recovery, it helped me reconnect with my body's needs and realize that I can branch out and push past that without my worst nightmare happen happening. It for me, structure, uh, structured eating became a bit of a beacon. You know, it was a sense of predictability. You know, if I was having a really, really bad day, at least I knew I could go back to that structure, mechanical eating, when I felt like I potentially wanted to give up. But I knew that my structure was my minimum, not my maximum. I think that's really important to know. It's all about relearning to trust our bodies, to eat with purpose and to silence all of those chaotic eating sort of thoughts, you know, it is like a bit of a storm up there. I get it. I think part of it as well was, you know, when I say about my minimum, it was kind of thinking about non-negotiables. So non-negotiables in recovery are those pillars that we refuse to let, you know, crumble or break, no matter how rough it gets in your mind. You know, they're they could be foundational, such as ensuring that three meals and three snacks a day, for instance, or engaging in daily self-care practices or attending therapy or coaching sessions. These non-negotiables is kind of like that lifeline keeping us 
on the path of recovery. What are the essentials to keep you grounded? How can you ensure that they're part of your daily routine? It is about flexibility. You know, I know that it's not about creating rigidity, but it's recognizing the need that while you need to remain committed to recovery, they can also, I suppose, be adaptable. So it's having those non-negotiables, but being able to adapt. And that's adaptability is all part of recovery. I think as well with those non-negotiables, it's, you know, it's kind of navigating that internal resistance. So those thoughts and feelings urging us to revert back to the eating disorder can be so overwhelming. It's here that our commitment to our why is tested. I think the key to this is the conversation you have with these thoughts. You need to recognize them, but don't let them dictate your actions. So challenge negative thinking with evidence. Lean on your structured plan from your coach or the goals that have been set, you know, be that a coach or therapist or whoever is in your treatment team, maybe a dietitian, etc. and plan your non-negotiables. They're your kind of, I don't know, your guide dog when things get unclear or you feel like you're losing track of your why, because I will hands down say to you that motivation dips in life, just in general. Motivation is never consistent, but your why remains consistent. So those non-negotiables help you pinpoint back to your why in recovery. I think as well, we need to think, I love science. Well, ironically, I never did a science A level, but I love thinking of science and research. And Recovery is as much as a scientific process as an emotional one. You know, we need to remember that our bodies undergo such profound changes, you know, restoring our metabolism, healing our gut, healing our bone structure, you know, protecting our vital organs. The biological repair work is supported by that consistency. You know, like I said, you know, having that minimum, we're not just feeding our bodies and our minds, we are teaching them how to trust us again you know, to to remove that survival mode and to begin the delicate work of internal self-repair. You know, the body's primary goal is homeostasis. So we need to, you know, reestablish trust and balance and reminding your body that it will receive the nourishment that it needs. So for instance, you know, you might find that when you start recovery that you you know, the weight starts to go around your midsection. And that's because the body's main aim is for balance, to keep you safe, to keep you alive. But with time and consistency, this is where consistency is really, really important, is if you consistently nourish yourself, that weight will redistribute throughout your whole body because it will start to trust you again and say, you know what, actually, you're not going to starve me again. And that's why consistency is remembering that. It's kind of thinking, would I be doing myself an injustice if I start restricting now? Yes, because you are telling your body and your brain that, you know, it's not safe. So as much as, you know, you should set, you know, some structure and some non-negotiables, some strategies for implementing this doesn't have to be rigid or joyless. You know, it can start by, you know, helping you reconnect with the pleasures of eating, having food fun, exploring diversity. And here are a few few things to consider, you know, structured support, like I said, working with a coach. And so if you're interested in coaching with me, you can have a free 15 minute call and see how I can reach your goals. But there's plenty of other therapists, dietitians, support groups who can provide accountability and encouragement. Also setting yourself small manageable goals. And this is why coaching is great because it helps you set those goals. You know, it helps you build momentum and something to work towards and confidence. 
It's also about flexibility with these goals. So recognizing that recovery is not a linear process. You're going to have setbacks and that is okay. But having flexibility in your recovery plan can reduce those feelings of failure and encourage that persistence. I think all of that being said, it's also having self-compassion. You know, actually looking at talking to yourself more nicely, you know, having those words of affirmation, gratitude, it helps mitigate any feelings of guilt when inconsistencies occur. To add, you know, with that is mindfulness, self-care, you know, teaching yourself meditation practices or breathing practices when those anxiety feelings get really, really strong and it can really help to improve emotional regulation, which is a cornerstone of when we're trying to deal with these thoughts is actually being able to regulate our emotions or at least understand them. I think as well, it also comes down to educating yourself on a wide variety of physiological and psychological aspects of recovery because it makes you feel less alone. And that's why I do this podcast. You know, you're not alone on this path. Consistency is hard, but it is possible. You know, understanding that structured eating at a minimum is important, that you need to be allowing your body to have regular, adequate nutrition, that it's okay to, while sticking to your plan, allowing for flexibility. Recovery is about learning it to navigate ebbs and flows without losing sight of those goals. And like I said before, setbacks are so natural. So don't be, you know, downhearted if you do have a setback. You know, we need to see that setbacks are an opportunity for growth and learning. And each experience and each challenge and each time that you want to give up brings valuable insight that contribute to your recovery growth, make you into the person you will be in the future. That's the thing. Recovery can be one of the most enlightening processes. It is, you know, you're going through this path of self-discovery and reminding you of your strength, you know, albeit challenging, but actually being able to challenge the eating disorder and doing the thing that your brain doesn't want to. That is hard and that isn't an achievement. I also kind of want to address a question that I get a lot from my audience on social media is how to deal with guilt that comes from eating foods, you know, you've labeled as bad. You know, that might feel like you can't be consistent. You feel like you need to make up for what you ate. But I think this is where the concept of food neutrality is really incredibly healing. There is so much BS out there, excuse my language, about what food's right or wrong. But we need to remember that all foods have place in a balanced diet. You know, we need to challenge the notion of good and bad foods by reminding yourself that you know, nutritional value and joy that varied foods can bring into your life. Joy and food should be synonymous, you know, and it's about making the choices that are right for you, not what's right for society. I've got an episode on kind of challenging guilt with a number of people actually before, one with Natalie uh, Rose, therapist over Christmas and one prior um, quite a while back. So if you are interested in diving deep into food guilt, I would go and re-listen to them because you might get some more actionable tips about dealing with those guilty feelings. But as we near the end of our time together today, I just want to celebrate each and every single one of you for the steps you're taking on your recovery. So whether you're just beginning or well into your recovery journey, your commitment and courage is worth celebrating. So remember that progress isn't measured by the absence of challenges, but by strong and resilient 
you know, actions that you show in recovery at the face of all those challenges. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope this episode was helpful, maybe give you a bit of a different angle on consistency. I always absolutely love sharing this space with you to explore every different avenue that recovery can bring. Wow, it is a bit of a mess, (laughs) but recovery is also a beautiful mess. You know, I want you to hold on to hope and, you know, realize that you have every capability of going throughout this journey. So like I said before, if you are interested in coaching, I've opened up some spaces so you can have a free 15 minute call with me to chat through your recovery, see how I can help and potentially work together. But for now, until we meet again, as they say, hold on to hope, nurture your strength and continue to flourish on your path to recovery. Thank you so much and be kind to yourself. Bye.